Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. We are continuing and actually finishing our series on the Gospel of Mark this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Has it been a good series so far? We've worked through, thank you, we've worked through chapters, uh, the first seven chapters, and we're going to be diving into chapter eight this morning. And if you've not heard the, all of this uh, all of this series in its entirety, I would encourage you to go to the podcast and listen there on iTunes or SoundCloud, or you can go on Facebook and pull up the services and listen to the, the message there, because it gives us this overarching theme that we see in the Gospel of Mark that I don't want you to miss. And really, Mark Mark's intention with the entire Gospel is to reveal to us who Jesus is. It's the whole purpose. It's why he's, he wrote the, the gospel is to help us know who Jesus is. He wants us to know him. He wants us to see him for who he is. He wants us to walk closely with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know Jesus intimately. And so he wrote the gospel for us. So when you read the gospel, have that intention in mind that as I turn these pages, Jesus is being revealed to me more intimately. That's why, that's why it's there. It's why God has given us his word so that he can reveal himself to us and we can know him more intimately. If you approach the Bible in any other way, you're going to miss the main intention. It's for Jesus to reveal himself to us. And from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, if you go back eight weeks ago, we talked about he starts off the very gospel with this. In the beginning is the gospel of Jesus Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God. He wants us to know who he is. And he's wanting us to, to open up our hearts and our minds to, to reveal who Jesus is to us. And so as people encounter Jesus through the, through the gospel, this is, I think this is really neat for us. That as, as, we, as he tells us stories of how Jesus interacts with people, Jesus is revealed to us. There's something powerful there. That when Jesus interacts with somebody, he is revealed more deeply to us. And so we need to be a people who are ready and willing to let Jesus interact everybody around us so that we would have more revelation of him. This is the whole point of the gospel, so that as Jesus is revealed to others and interact with others, we should be able to see Jesus in them, and he reveals himself more deeply to us. So be looking for Jesus and how he reveals himself to us as we move through the gospel. And as you continue to read the read it, we see Jesus more revealed. Even from the beginning where he heals the paralyzed man, remember, he rips off the roof. And there's revelation of who Jesus is. From that point to where he's even casting out demons out of a, a man who's filled with a legion of demons, we see Jesus being revealed to us. Where he heals the masses, it says everybody comes to him. And he heals them all down to the woman with the issue of blood who touches just the hem of his garment. It reveals something to us about Jesus. He cares about the masses and he cares for each one of us. We see this Jesus throughout the gospel that, that uh, he's the one who not only when he feeds the 5,000 and walks on water, he cares intimately for you and I. This God who is revealed to us through scriptures, we get this glimpse of who Jesus is. And the whole time throughout the gospel, what I find interesting, and hopefully you've picked up on it, is that those who are closest to Jesus mis misunderstand him the most. Those who should know who he is don't really know who he is. Those who walk with him, even the disciples who follow him time and time again, get it wrong. They just they don't quite see him clearly. And, and we as a people, sometimes as the church, sometimes we feel like we have the corner on who Jesus is. And we want to go around telling everybody about how much we know about him. But really what he wants us to do is pause and say, do you really know me? Do you really know me? 
Or is it because you call yourself a Christian that you stamp yourself with the approval that you know me, but your hearts are far from me? We don't want to be a people who praise God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him this morning. We want to draw closer and closer and closer. Even in chapter 8, we see this theme of revelation and misunderstanding throughout it. And I kind of feel bad for the disciples. I feel bad for them because they feel like they know how it works, but they really don't know. Have you ever been there where you thought you knew how something worked, but then you realized you really didn't know anything about it? Like something breaks, you're like, oh, I know how to fix it. And you think it's fixed and it's only good for about two minutes and then it breaks again. And you're like, oh, I guess I don't have my mind wrapped around this. Actually, when I was writing this sermon here at the church, I've been coming early in the morning. And uh, I got here at five in the morning on Wednesday and the Internet would not work. It didn't work. And I don't know if you can tell uh, by looking at me, but I'm not like a high speed guru when it comes to Wi-Fi. Right. So I know one fix when the router is not working. You go and unplug it. Okay. So I'm like, I know how to do this. I walk out of the, my study here. I walk to the back where the router is. I'm like, I got this solved. Unplug it. Counted 30 seconds. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay. I know how to do this fix. I plug it back in. Everything lights back up. The lights start dancing. I think that's a good sign. I walk back to my office. It's up. I'm like, ooh, I fixed it. I should be a consultant for Comcast. I can do this. I can do this. I start working. All of a sudden, it goes out again. And then I realize I've used everything I know. I've done everything that I can do in this situation. I got to call on the big guns because I don't know how to fix this, right? I thought I knew the answer, but when the answer came back still incorrect, I was at a loss. And I think sometimes that happens for us. It happens a lot of times where we think we know the answer. We think we know the solution to the problem. But when that solution pans out, it's not really there at all. And we're, we're kind of dealing with the mess of how, where, what do I do from here? Has anyone ever been in that situation before? Can you relate to something like that? Right? You think you fixed the car, and then it's not fixed. That happened to me before, too, with our, our, past, our last car. I was like, oh, it's the throttle body. Replace the throttle body. Not right. Oh, it's this. It's the carburetors. Those things are expensive. Replace them. Wasn't the right. It wasn't the solution. And then I'm at a loss word. I'm just praying to Jesus. Help us figure out. And then... We sell it to Sam and Tina. (laughs) And it works for a while, and then it breaks on them. And we're like, I don't know. I don't know. Trying to bless you, and I think I cursed you. I don't know. I'm sorry. I love you. It's working now by the grace of God. Amen? Thank God for George, who knows how to work on cars, and they figured it out. But sometimes we do things, and we think we have the answer, and we really don't have the answer. And the disciples were that way. They thought they had the answer of who Jesus was, and they didn't know it. They didn't know it. All throughout Mark in chapter 8, it happens. It starts out with Jesus feeding the 4,000. He feeds 4,000. In in the chapter before that, in chapter 6, actually, he feeds 5,000. You remember this? With five loaves, he feeds 5,000. And in chapter 8, now he's got 4,000 people who are hungry, and he feeds them with seven loaves. And uh, the disciples in chapter 6 didn't understand what Jesus was doing in the 5,000. So you know that the portion in chapter 6, it's ending. Jesus comes walking to them on the water. They're terrified. Then it says, and they were, their hearts were hard. They were frightened because they didn't understand the loaves from the first time he fed all these people. They were missing something. And so Jesus feeds the 4,000 again. And you would think the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, there's a ton of people here and they've got no food. We know what to do. 
Because you did it literally two chapters earlier. I mean, their life wasn't in chapters, but I could imagine them saying, in chapter six, you fed them. So let's do it again. No, but they're like, we have no bread. These people are starving. What shall we do? And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've done it once. Can I not do it again? And yet sometimes as followers of Jesus, we, we, he, he walks us through hard times. He walks us through difficult times. And then we're like, oh, thank you, God. You fed me. I'm blessed. I'm filled. Then we come up to another place where we're dry and hungry and thirsty again. We're like, oh, what am I going to do? And Jesus is like, do you remember? Do you remember that I can still do what I've always done? I'm the one who fills you. I'm the one who provides for you. And Jesus is the one who's telling these disciples, do you not know what I can do? And what's crazy is right after he feeds the 4,000, the Pharisees come to him and they're like, Jesus, show us a sign. What? That's crazy. If I was Jesus, which thank God I'm not, because I'd mess that all up. But if Jesus... (laughs) I would have been like, do you not see all these people with their bellies full? 4,000 people. Is that not good enough for you? But they're like, give us a sign. Give us a sign. As a way to legitimize his authority. As if they were the ones who had the authority over him. The Pharisees were asking for a sign because they wanted to legitimize their religiosity. They wanted to be the people that says, okay, you're legit. You can do ministry now. You have to run everything through us. And only if you do it the way we want you to, you can do ministry with us. You can be a part of us. And Jesus is telling them, no, uh, I don't submit to your authority. In fact, I submit to the one who's over me, my father. And I think sometimes, you know, we can be a lot like the Pharisees who are always wanting proof. We want certification that Jesus actually did what he said he was going to do. And I see that quite a bit, a lot when we have time for prayer, we ask for prayer. Say, Pastor, man, work is slowing down, and I need more hours. I need more hours. The next week, you get more hours, and you're like, was that God, or is that a coincidence? You know? Did God really answer that prayer, or just, you know, it happened to work out that way? And we would rather have some proof that it was God, rather than believe that he answered the prayer that we'd asked. Come on, I'm not the only one who thinks that way. You know it. When you when you're like, God, I need a miracle. I need this relationship to be restored. The person texts you. You're like, well, that was really coincidental. Like, that's strange. Why would they reach out? Well, it just happened to be that way. It was good timing. No, it's God answering our prayers. And sometimes we can be like the Pharisees are like, well, give us another sign. Give me another sign. Just one more. And then I'll believe really that it was you that did it. When God's saying the whole time, I'm the one who's already providing for you all of these things, how many more times do I have to give you proof that I love you and that I'm with you? I think one reason why the Pharisees were asking so much for signs is that they wanted to maintain their religious authority as leaders because Jesus was doing tremendous things that they hoped and prayed for, but they aren't doing them. You know, they would love to walk around and heal the sick and raise the dead, but this man's doing it. So they want to say, like, well, if you're legit, then we'll be like, yeah, he's with us. But if you're not legit, then we just want to push you aside and really, you know, he's doing those things in the, in the devil's power, not in God's power. And they wanted to legitimize their religious authority. Sometimes you will you'll ex- might experience that in your walk with Jesus. You might have somebody who says, really, if you were a real Christian, you would your life would look like this. And since it doesn't, you're really, God's not really working in your life because I'm the authority over you to tell you what God is doing, what God's not doing. And we need to be a people who say, I walk to God humbly and I submit to his will and to his authority over my life. 
I think they wanted to prove that Jesus was with them from God so that they could put their seal of approval, legitimize his ministry so they could remain in power. And Jesus tells them in verse 12, I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you a sign to legitimize your religion. You're not my authority. This is what's really important. I think we need to hear this church is that Jesus never healed to prove his identity. He healed because he was moved with compassion. And if you're wanting to know who Jesus is and you're wanting to have a a more deep revelation and intimate knowledge of who Jesus is, don't ask him to show himself through miracles and signs to you because he doesn't need to prove his identity. But fall upon his compassion and allow him to minister to you. If you need a miracle in your life, don't say, well, if you're God, you'll do this. No, he's not going to prove his identity to you that way. But if you say, I know that you're God and I need you, please have mercy on me, then God will show up because he's moved with compassion because he doesn't need to prove himself to us. But he will love us with compassionate hearts. And moving on and through the chapter in verse uh, 15, and we'll get to the main text here in a minute. I just want to give you an overview of the chapter. That's what we're doing right now. I'm basically giving you an overview. So stay with me. Verse 15, he tells the disciples, they get back in the boat after he tells the Pharisees, I'm not giving you a sign. He gets in the boat with the with the, uh, the disciples, and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they think he's talking about bread still, because they don't get it. They're like, oh, is he, is he upset with us because we didn't bring lunch? I, I don't care about, I, don't, I could make bread happen like that if I wanted. I just fed 9,000 people with 12 loaves total. And, and they're not understanding it. And Jesus, when he speaks of leaven, he's actually talking about a way of life or a thought process that can weevil its way down into us and corrupt us from the inside out. He talks about it even in Matthew 13 when he talks about the leaven. He compares it to the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is like leaven in, in you, it will spread throughout you and it will raise you up to where I want you to be. But be careful how these Pharisees and how these Herodians think and act because the way they live will poison you and, and slow down your pursuit of God. The Pharisees, by way of religious authority and rule, and rule following, they claimed they knew God. And so that's, that was the leaven that they provided. If you want to know God, follow our rules, submit to our authority, and you'll know God. Jesus says, beware of that kind of thinking. Then the Herodians, they were rulers who were put in place by the Romans. And they they sought political authority and wealth and saying, this is how you gain power and control. And Jesus says, no, beware of trying to gain uh, influence uh, through, through connections and through wealth as a way of thinking that you're doing something good. Because that will mess up your pursuit of God too. You need There's something else that I want you to see here. And it's not their way of pursuit. Jesus warns his disciples to be aware of the ways that they're living and thinking. If it infiltrates your heart, it will corrupt your pursuit of God. And the whole time the disciples still think that he's talking about bread. Verse, 15, verse 17, part of our main text this morning, we have it there. Verse 17 says this, he's aware of it. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not yet perceive do you not yet understand are your hearts hardened having eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and i can hear the disciples answering as they do 12 and the seven and the four thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up i can hear them say Seven. 
And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Don't you understand? And they still didn't understand. They could see, but they couldn't see fully. They could see, but they couldn't see clearly. They'd seen miracle after miracle, and yet they still didn't understand what Jesus came to do. And that's the way it is with us, I think, a lot of the times. God does something amazing in our lives and passes by, and we neglect to recognize how loving and how powerful and how good to us he is. And when we neglect to remember that, that's when worry begins to creep back in to our hearts again. That's when anxiety tries to flood over us again because we think that God is good but just not good to us. We think that God is loving but just not loving to us. We think God is merciful but just not merciful to us. Or else, why else would I feel this anxiety? Why else would I feel this worry? Why else would I feel this burden? But God would say to you this morning, do you not remember? Do you not yet understand what I've come to do? That I'm for you. That I'm with you. That I am the one who walks with you. Don't forget what I can do. Don't forget that I'm right here with you. Then Mark tells the story of Jesus healing this blind man in Bethsaida. Starting in verse 22. And they finally get to Bethsaida. Do you remember in chapter 6? When Jesus walks to the disciples on the water. He tells them go to Bethsaida. Do you remember? They don't get to Bethsaida until right now. I think it's interesting that sometimes Jesus calls us to some place. And it takes a while to get there. But be reminded that when God calls you to something. He'll make sure you get there. I think sometimes we get distracted by we know the call of God in our life. We think that God's moving, he's called us to something, but yet it's not right there immediately in front of us. We think he's forgotten. Or maybe that really wasn't for me. Maybe I really wasn't called to that. I'm over here doing this and it seems meaningless and tireless and I I really should be doing this. I'm called to do this. But we're in Gennesaret in chapter 7. I thought we were supposed to go to Bethsaida. And I'm over here just doing my own thing. I'm over here just working bees. I'm just over here just... You know, mowing lawns. I'm over here cleaning toilets. I'm over here just doing the normal stuff. And I'm really called to do that. God's saying, I still got you on this journey. I haven't stopped. I haven't forgotten. I called you to it. I'll make sure you get there. And we need to be reminded that when he calls us, he's laying it all out for us. Just because we don't get there in the moment doesn't mean that he's forgotten. So they get to Bethsaida and some people bring to Jesus this blind man and they beg him. To touch him. What I think is beautiful is Jesus, it says that he takes him by the hand and he leads him outside the village because he wants intimacy. He wants intimacy and he will come to you and he, he'll come and t- take you by the hand when you, when you beg him to touch you and he'll come and take you by the hand and lead you out. And then it says that he took and he spit and he touched the man's eyes. Now, it doesn't say that he spit in the man's eyes. Some people read that that way. He could have. It could be that he just touched him and then, you know, I don't know. But he spits and he touches the man's eye and he takes off. He says, do you see? Can you see? And the man says in the end of verse 24, it says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This healing story actually, I think, ties the section ahead of it to the one behind it. 
the one before it to the one just after it, where the disciples have been with Jesus and they've seen him do amazing miracles. But when it comes down to it, they still can't see him clearly. And like the blind man that Jesus leads out of the village, the disciples have been following Jesus nearly three years now at this point. And he's been leading them by the hand and hoping to open their eyes to see who he is, but they still see him dimly. They can't see him clearly. Even from the next section, we see that this that Peter sees who Jesus is, and we think he sees him clearly, but he doesn't quite see him clear enough. In verse 27, it says this, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, And who do you say that I am? He's saying, How do you see me? Or how do others see me? And they say this, John the Baptist, who was beheaded in chapter 6, and Others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets, and he says to them, but who do you say that I am? He says, how do you see me? In your eyes, how do you see me? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. This is the first moment that there is a, a de- declaration by a person, in the, especially in the disciples, of who Jesus is. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. See, Peter, he confesses who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. But he still doesn't understand what that really means. We'll see later in Mark that the disciples are expecting this military leader like David who was going to come in and kick out the Roman oppressors and set up a new kingdom again. And Israel would be a massive kingdom again like it was in its heyday with under David and under Solomon. And this is the, this is the, the, the Messiah they're thinking about, a military Messiah. That's why, the, that's why the brothers, James and John, come to him later on say, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, we'll sit. Can we sit at your right hand and at your left? They're not thinking about heaven. They're thinking about earth. Can we be, can we beside you and help you rule these people? He's like, you don't understand what you're talking about. That's why Peter, when they're in the garden, he's like, he gets his sword out. He's like, this is it. When they come to arrest Jesus, he's like, this is it. This, the war is on. I'm going to chop this fool's ear off. He thinks military coup. He thinks we're here to run these people out. Because he's seen the power of Jesus, he just doesn't know who Jesus is. Some of us have seen the power of Jesus, but we don't know really who he is. And we think he came to do one thing, but he's come to do something entirely different in our hearts. And we can miss him if we don't clearly see him. He says, you're this Messiah that we've been looking for, but he doesn't really know that the Messiah came to suffer and die to buy us all of our freedom. They were expecting a Messiah who would reign victorious here on earth and set up an earthly kingdom. But Jesus came to set up an eternal kingdom. In verse 31, it says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And verse 32 says something here, very powerful. He said, and he said this plainly. Do you remember he used parables? As riddles to confuse and to confound what really he was talking about. But here he says, look, I know it's about to come to a head. I'm going to just give it to you straight. And he tells them plainly. And his reaction, Peter's reaction, is the reaction that we would understand of of someone who's supposed to think that this person is supposed to be our king. Who's going to live for, he's going to live on earth. He's going to live a long, healthy life. He's setting up his kingdom. And he says, no, they're, they're going to come and kill me. He's like, no, you don't understand. And Peter said, took him aside and he rebuked him. The word that is used here for rebuke is the same word Jesus used when he rebuked demons out of people. It's the exact same. Peter was basically saying to Jesus, you're possessed if you think that's what's going to happen. 
I'm like, let's cast this demon out of you so get your head right again. This is what Peter was to the son of God. The one who, who followed him for three years is now sounding like the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees who said, by the power of Beelzebul, is, you perform these miracles. Peter's saying, I don't like what, what I hear from you. I don't like what I'm seeing. So you must be possessed by something other than God. So come out. And Jesus, it says he looks at his disciples and he sees the commotion and the concern on their face. I'm reading into that part, but he says he turns and sees the disciples. So I'm guessing through this little argument of Peter saying, come out, devil, to their master. That might have been like, hold up, what's, what's, what's Peter doing? And Jesus looks at them, he sees them, and he turns back to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Basically saying, I'm not possessed, you are in this moment. Because you don't know what you're talking about. You have the things of man, you have the carnal desire in you, but not what God wants to do. Get behind me, turning to him. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter thought he knew who Jesus was, but he didn't see the whole picture of what he came to do. Just like the blind man who he had healed, but couldn't see clearly, Jesus had to touch him again. And when Jesus commanded him not to go back into the village, where he came it illustrates that when Jesus says when you begin to see clearly you can never go back to where you used to be when you know who I am you can't return to the way of life and the way of thinking that you used to have before if you really want to see clearly be ready to cut off some things out of your life that are going to try to clog up and fog up who I really am in your life if you want to encounter me if you're ready to see me clearly Recognize that you can't go back after I've touched your eyes, after I've revealed myself to you. If you want to see clearly, you can't return to your old life. If you want to see clearly, you can't go back to where you used to be. And now that we can see clearly who Jesus is, some things in this life will have to change. And Jesus, he wraps up chapter 8 by saying that very thing to his listeners and to us this morning. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you think you can have your life the way you want it and still see Jesus clearly, you're wrong. If you want to see Jesus clearly, you're going to have to die to yourself daily and follow after him. And that's a challenge for everybody in here. Whether you've been saved 50 years, you don't even know Jesus yet. The idea that if you want to see the king of kings clearly for who he is, the God who walks with us, then you're going to have to deny yourself and your own selfish desire to say, I would rather see him clearly than see the things that I want. I would rather see Jesus and know him for who he is fully than only partially and be confused by everything else around me. If I want to see Jesus clearly, I got to cut through the fog of life so I can really hang on to him and him only. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's, will save it. Following Jesus will cost you something. It'll cost you your comfort. It'll cost you your ease. It'll cost you your social notoriety. It'll cost you more than you think, but it is worth far greater than anything you could ever lose. And it is worth it. Peter and the disciples thought they could see Jesus clearly, but they didn't quite see him for who he was. And it took continued touches of Jesus to open their eyes so that they could see him even a touch from him beyond the grave when he rose from the 
dead again and said, Peter, when Peter was fishing on the boat in the Gospel of John, Peter, actually he says, children, because he wants intimacy. He says, children, have you caught anything? And then Peter sees him and his eyes are opened and he knows who he is and he jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. So Jesus will take whatever it takes and do whatever it takes to continue to touch your life if you'll let him to open up your eyes just a little bit more to who he is. The disciples were hoping for this Jesus that would come and set up an earthly kingdom and that they would be able to rule in it and be a part of the ruling class. But Jesus said, no, that's not what I have in mind. Sometimes people come to Jesus hoping that they'll, that he'll give them whatever they want. I'll follow Jesus because I really need this in my life or things aren't working out in my life. And I guess I'll try this. I'll try this. If it, if it, if it doesn't work out, then I'll go try something else. But that's not how Jesus works in his kingdom. You, you can't say, I'll have this and have that too. When Jesus comes, he wants to set you free and he wants to make you alive. Not just work with your dead flesh. He wants to raise your flesh to life again. He said, no, if you want to follow me, you need to lose your life, not hold on to it. And that isn't comfortable or safe for us this morning. They thought they knew how it all worked, but they quickly realized they had no idea and had to go back to Jesus and say, touch me again. I, I can't see clearly. I see things dimly. I don't understand. Would you touch me again? Would you touch me again? In this life, I think we have the tendency to think that we know how everything works and how everything is going to work out. But then when life hits us, we quickly find out that we don't know how it all works. That you could do all the things, all things right and good and still calamity falls upon you. You lose a loved one. You lose your job. Everything else that was structured around you now crumbles and falls and you thought you had it all together and you knew how it all worked. But Jesus says, come to me. Let me touch you again so that you can see clearly. Because the things of this world will try to tell you you understand it all, but really, you don't know anything unless you know Jesus. We think we can see it clearly, but often we see through a fog. Here's the big idea I want you to walk away with this morning, that for clear vision, you have to continue to go to Jesus and allow him to touch you. And be honest with him if you cannot see him clearly. Be honest with him if you don't fully understand. Be honest with him when things aren't working out in your favor. When he asked the blind man, can you see? If the blind man was like, yep, perfect. He would have been walking around with people trees the rest of his life. People trees. He'd be walking up to say hello to somebody, it would be a real tree. He couldn't see. If he would have lied to Jesus and said, you know what? It's good. This is good. I feel okay with this. It's better than darkness. So, no, but he was honest and said, I don't, I can see, but it's not clear. And Jesus would say to you this morning, you may know me, but can you see me clearly? And if you can't, let me touch you again. Come and let me touch you again. Come and let me restore you again. Come and let me give you fresh revelation of who I am and what I've come to do. Don't just walk around and saying, this is good enough. Don't walk around in this life saying, it's better than what I used to be in. 
Because he wants to take you deeper. He wants to give you fresh revelation of who he is. Don't walk around trying to talk to trees because you can't see people clearly. He wants you to cut through the fog and say, Jesus, I know you, but I want to know you more. Jesus, I can see you, but I want to see you more clearly. That's what he wants to do to us today. That's what he wants to reveal to us today. That when we confess Jesus as Lord, we understand what that means. Unlike Peter who says, you're the Messiah, but I really don't know how that works. If we confess who Jesus is, he wants us to know everything that he wants to do in our lives. How he wants to restore us and pour out over us. So be honest with him, just like the blind man said, I can't see clearly. You're not going to offend Jesus. It just brings him closer. When the blind man said, I can't see clearly, Jesus was like, well, I did something and walks away. No, he didn't do that. What do you mean you can't see? When I heal, I heal on the first touch. Because that's what we saw the rest of the gospel, right? But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, oh, let me come closer. Let me come closer. He says, let me come closer. Can you see me? Let me come closer. Let me come closer. He doesn't push him away. It doesn't push Jesus away. When you ask for more clarity, it draws him closer to you. Don't you want Jesus to be closer? He says, talk to me. Tell me what you're dealing with. Tell me the hurt and the pain. Tell me the things that are fogging up your your vision of me. And let me come closer to touch you again. That's what he wants to do. Come, be real with me, and let me touch you again. For those in the room this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, then you're not really seeing him clearly. But this morning he's saying, if you'll invite me to touch your heart, touch your life, I'll reveal to you who I am. I will open your eyes to see me. This is the promise he gives to us. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, then Jesus would say to you, whether you're a seasoned believer, if you've been saved five seconds, He would say to you, let me draw closer to you so I can touch you again and give you a deeper understanding and a deeper revelation of who I am. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It would help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.